Hi, Tim Kask here. Faced with a TPK and have no idea what to do? Well, you might have, had you listened to Save or Die. You burst through the door, you find a small room filled with gold and jewels. Like a red dragon, he starts to breathe. Save or die! The Save or Die Podcast, a podcast about classic Dungeons and Dragons. Bring on your goblin holes and band of oaks, hulking zombies and bulls, and on no troll, gonna slow it down, oh no. Don't dig up And phones off. And Recording now. All that happy stuff. If I have my ringer up, this is what you hear. I think I'd rather have the Star Trek communicator sound. That is more. That is in fact more annoying than a Bon Jovi song. Now you know why I keep it down all the time. Episode ninety-one, save or die. Another email show. Oh boy, because we got that much laying around here. And as usual, this is DM Mike with DM Liz. Hello. DM Glenn. Writing up those NPCs for the con. Hello. He can multitask. And DM Jim. Hey, I'm smarter than the average were-type bear. <laughs> <laughs> were-bearoid. I don't think Ranger Aragorn's going to like that, Yogi. <laughs> <laughs> Yogi were-bear. <laughs> oh, did you see that? Like, I think it was the late 80s, early 90s when they put out the – they tried to make Yogi Bear. Oh, God, with the mall? In the mall, as oh. rats. Oh, oh, oh. oh, like Hanna Barbera kids. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh. that was horrid. Yeah. Carlos anyway. thought that was a good idea, but I like what spunk. So we are going to go right into emails. Get down, get down, get down, get down. The save or die email hot tub time machine. Come here. Scrumptious little beauty. Here I go once again with the email. Every week I hope that it's from a female. Oh man! Hooray! Hooray! And Liz will read every single one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, who do we have to punch in this one? (laughs) Okay. Well, I won't be reading every single one of them. Because Glenn and Jim have both graciously agreed to help me out so that my voice doesn't die. But we'll be starting off with our first email from Kevin. And Kevin writes, I know a bit about chainmail and how it is not what caused D&D to come to be. And it has more in common with Dave Arneson's Don't Give Up the Ship. The chainmail claim is from the Gygax side. It's what allowed him to gain an interest. Dave had thrown out Chainmail as a rule source long ago. And a lie repeated about Chainmail does not make it real. The game mechanics follow what Dave said. And at this point, most people were using the same monsters across the board. 
TSR later tried to get Dave to stop using the monsters he created, which was funny. Just an FYI. Note, D20 use. AC was better the lower. The two guys came into merging to create D&D by different paths. Dave was already playing RPGs in 1969 after playing them also since 1967 in historical reenactments. Thank you, Kevin. And discuss. <laughs> Thank, somebody's got an axe to grind. Well, um, there are obviously <laughs> different viewpoints on this. And, yeah, if you're going to talk role-playing, arguably the SCA was role-playing Avalon before that, as noted in John Peterson's book, Playing at the World. However, I've got to say he pretty much conclusively proves from contemporary paperwork where everybody stood in the creation and publication of D&D, and I'm willing to follow his annotations. So, I mean, I just love John Peterson's approach in playing at the world because it's scholarly and it's academic, and the tone he purposely uh, picked in writing the book was not to get into this whole Gygax versus Arneson thing because it's uh, it's not a useful way to look at the history of the whole thing. You want to do that with academics and scholarship, and and what John did that was genius was he has cited mainly sources of what uh, Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson said at the time or shortly thereafter, as opposed to memories recollected decades later. Yeah, um, and. That's something I tell my students regarding memoirs. Um, the problem is, you know, they're they're useful, but usually this is people remembering 20, 30 years ago. And people and, – and it's human nature, you know, that you tend to remember the better things more well, than the worse. Also, even sources when you're, say, using somebody's private journal or diary entries – most of the time when we write those private things about ourselves, we very rarely, you know, say, boy, I was a total ass when I did this. You know, it's, I, again, I think it's human nature. When we write about ourselves, we want to make ourselves look at least kind of good, if not completely good. It's like, well, or if you do say, yes, I was an ass when I did X, then you follow it up with, but it was because such and such happened and I wasn't feeling good. You know, oh, that kind of oh, thing. Yeah. Is that the way you do it? I'm going to have to re- rewrite my memoirs then. Oh, well, get get on that. <laughs> well, you know, to me, it's like the whole thing is like taking personal what is basically a legal fight where it was basically we don't want to give Dave credit because then we have to give him money. And now people are saying, oh, Dave is getting shortchanged. I don't think Dave is getting shortchanged, whether chainmail or don't give up the ship. It doesn't matter. Everybody acknowledges him as the as the co-writer of the original D&D. And you can't really take that away from him. No. And as far as, as far as memoirs go, well, memoirs are written by the wieners. So, you know, take for it what you will. The wieners? I, yeah. Winners, wieners. Winners. I, I like both guys, and I am nothing but extremely grateful that they met and both contributed what they contributed to something that I'm still doing, you know, and enjoying years and years later. And um, the only uh, so I don't have a dog in that hunt. The uh, but mm-hmm. I like the Harlan Ellison saying, "You you're not entitled to your opinion; you're entitled to your informed opinion." And in that, nobody can top the scholarship John Peterson did. And uh, that's true. 
And I have a copy of Don't Give Up the Ship, second edition, right in my hands. And that one says it was written by Arneson, Gygax, and Carr. So that's what I'll cite as my informed opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That that works. And, and Kevin, you know, if you can't figure this out or you don't like this, uh, I got a simple solution. Play Tunnels and Trolls. Um, Hey, 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 hey. (laughs) Make your Tunnels and Trolls podcast, Glenn. (laughs) Glenn, are you trolling for emails? No. Ex- oh, tunnels uh, and trolling. Well, I, I wanted to get it. I wanted to get in before Jim said play DCC. Uh, so I'm done. All right. Well, thanks for the email, Kevin. We're and, gonna. Yeah, we we're not going to end the conflict here. I know. Oh um, Lord, no. Um, and I think it's very similar to. Well, it's how it's how a lot of people felt after you know Gary Gygax was booted out of TSR. You know, there was a lot of hate for Lorraine Williams and there still is. Oh yeah. Um so I think when the when these sorts of things happen, there's always a lot of, you know, fans who take it personally, you know, even if it was a purely business decision by the people involved or not. Um yeah. but yeah, it's 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 hard to get through the, you know, what really happened and by saying you like one person, it should not automatically mean that by, because you like because you like Dave Arneson, you must therefore hate what Gary Gygax did or vice yeah. versa. Um, but it it can be very difficult to you know extricate that from the game. Well, <laughs> exactly. Some of that's human nature. And there's one more thing I want to say about this: uh, a historical tool that's often used when trying to dissect collaborative. Uh, partnerships is to just look at what the two collaborators did separately both before and after their partnership right that will always give you a rough metric of uh who brought what to the table whether it's london mccartney or stanley and jack kirby you know you you look at what they did before during and after and you get some idea and in in this case of gygax and artisan both men were active and creative in gaming before during and after and, and contributed lots to our hobby so yay for everybody that's right, right. And on that note, next email. Oh, this email is from Robert Kerrigan. Hello, Robert. Hi, Robert. And he says, Dear Save or Die, I came across your podcast this week after searching for a basic D&D podcast. (laughs) I love the show and have listened to several episodes over the last 24 hours. Hey, take it easy there, bud. Um, (laughs) You're... (laughs) Too much is never enough. Podcast over four (laughs) hours is not natural, and you should see a doctor. Um, (laughs) Your podcast sound quality is very good and the editing excellent. I love podcasts, and there are many bad ones out there. Oh, yeah. I've learned a lot about the history of the game. You often refer to the Holmes edition, I'm a Moldvay guy. I introduced my 11-year-old son and his friends to D&D this week during a snow day. Wow. Uh, I... Bought and downloaded classic D&D from the Wizards of the Coast website because, A, that's what I learned on, and, B, I figured it was the simplest way to introduce boys to the game. Woo-hoo. Thank you again for the show, Robert Carrigan, uh, Portland, Maine. Oh. Thanks, Rob. This is an old email, right? Yes. Talking um, about snow days? Yes. Um, to, to remind everyone the this reason March, we're right? having uh, – no, February. February. Yeah. Wow. Um, Good so, Lord. Yeah, this was from February. And this is the reason why we were having another email episode so soon after our hot tub time machine 
email episode because we are still trying to come from the past into the present. So, yeah, um, the these past two emails were from the end of January, and this is coming into February. So, um, yeah. <laughs> if you think, well, like if you, you point out, too, Liz, that uh, obviously D&D and Wargaming were created or expanded by people who lived in the Great Lakes and New England areas because you get snowed in and got to do something. Yeah. yeah it's you, like, you, well, I'm stuck here for the next week. What can I do? It's time for a war game. You know, set up the sand internet. table. Yeah. You know, you're good to go for yeah. probably the whole time. Yeah, beer and a lutefisk and you go. Um <laughs> But that's so, total awesome you, sauce, taking a snow day and introducing your kids to D&D. Yeah. yeah. That is great. And, and you, as much as I love Holmes, I got to admit that you're wrong. Mold, <laughs> Moldvay <laughs> is written better for the totally new person to role-playing games. All right. I'll give you that one. If I had to give any one version <laughs> to a totally new person, it would be Moldvay. Labrador? No. Or, well, Labrador. Yeah, same thing. Six of one, half dozen of the other. <laughs> I don't think a two-month-old email is the oldest email we've got in the bag this show. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <sighs> that is Rob. Next. All right. You are up, Glenn. Yeah. You know, Rob, I'm sorry we didn't read your longer introduction. I almost wanted to for that first sentence. I'm Rob, and I'm a 47-year-old gear. I just want to go, hi, Rob. <laughs> 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 okay, from Kevin Long. Hi, guys and Liz. I don't sound right, but okay. I'm listening to the show 65 about making stuff for movies. Okay. I don't think I have used movies for my games, but I am playing a Solomon Kane, Kane game, and my guy, David Jones, is a grave digger based on The Undertaker and Kane from WWE. We ought to send this one to Vin. Oh, I know. <laughs> um, I'm all. Yeah, I'm also running a CNC game that I'm building the world as we go, but the world is Wonderland from the Grim Fairy Tales comic books. The heroes are working for the Queen of Hearts, Kevin. I seem to recall that's a pretty dark Grimm's Fairy Tales, that series, isn't it, Liz? Uh, I believe so, yeah, although yeah. I never really collected those. I don't know why, but just for whatever reason, I never grabbed those. Yeah, that's interesting. Castles and Crusades with Wonderland. Yeah, <laughs> I'm kind of interested in heroes working for the Queen of Hearts. That sounds more like an anti-paladin crew. <laughs> <laughs> Off with their a, heads. Oh yeah, we also have a second one from Kevin McCall. So Kevin McCall writes in says you may not be aware of Dave Arneson's site or that it recently was revised. Same site it has been, including an archive of his old work. And it's basically www.blackmorecastle.com. It says, by the way, I hope you do not mind linking back to your page. And if you have more information or highlights I can promote, I am willing to help. I was particularly interested in that podcast 76. We have a video interview and other material we will be posting along with what we have had posted since Dave was alive working with me on it. All right. Thank you, Kevin. We can yep. definitely put that link in the uh, show notes. Show notes? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. I haven't looked at that site in a while, but I will say that when Dave Arneson was alive and that site was up and running, most of his D&D stuff was up there as free PDF downloads. And right. that was pretty cool. All right. Well, next email. Next email is from Panglot, and he writes – 
I'm a Pathfinder player slash GM trying to get my group interested in Labyrinth Lord and Swords and Wizardry. And I think Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Go Panglot. <laughs> and I think your podcast is a great way to learn about some history of the game that is a little before my time. I loved your review of the 70s gonzo madness of all the world's monsters, but was sad you missed the Rainbow Demon reference to your Uriah Heep song off Demons and Wizards, which I think the song he means is the song called Wizard. Ah. I, I'm not a Uriah Heath listener, I'm, I fear. You're, same here. Oh, classic 70s stuff. <laughs> Rick Wakeman. <laughs> I listen to that. You listen to Dio. Listen and to- Dio. Yeah. I, listen, I listen to Barry Manilow. I know, I know. Back in the 70s. And, you, and, and Billy Joel. Back I'm in the very 70s, sorry. You were still, I, I, listened to, I listened to those too, Glenn. It's okay. <laughs> you were still meeting uh, on, behind the sixth on, grade court. In I, was listening to him, I, was yeah. listening to him, I was listening to him on eight-track tapes. I, I was too. I had an eight-track tape player. I did, right, <laughs> next to my, right next to my bed. Yep. First music I ever owned was Star Wars on eight-tracks. So. Wow. I took, anyway. a, I took a date to Star Wars. I'm old. <laughs> I I quote. I started laughing to a book Liz was reading me, where out of nowhere they made a very obscure Star Wars reference, and she just stared at me like I was an idiot. <laughs> and she, you got that right. It's like no, no. that is the <laughs> Obviously line that not. used in Star Wars when Ben Kenobi was sneaking around them, and she just said. You watch too much Star Wars. <laughs> and Mike said, not possible. <laughs> dude, dude, dude. I was at the Cincinnati Library Comic Con last weekend with Tim Cask, and a guy shows up in a beautiful Stormtrooper costume, and he's up browsing my comics, and I just wave my arm and go, these are not the comics you're looking for. And without a word, he reaches down his belt, rips off a sheet of paper, and hands me an imperial summons for overuse of a movie cliche. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. And I can and I can I can testify that I've seen all six Star Wars movies, each in a different theater, a couple out of state. Mm. We never saw the Revenge of the Sith after Attack of the Clones. I just couldn't take it. Wimp. But you have grandkids, so you probably didn't have a choice. I like all six of them, to tell you the truth. Uh-huh. Anyway, Takes all kinds, um, yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Next. <laughs> yep, that's you, Glenn. Oh, okay. Kevin Long is with us again. We have a lot of Kevins writing. Hi, hi guys and Liz. Now, Kevin, we're going to talk about that. <laughs> well, Liz is Liz, the guy, so, you know. I know I know that, but it sounds like, oh, yeah, I like everybody, even Fred. You know, <laughs> everybody I, and I read Fred. It as That's what it sounds like. <laughs> he likes everybody, especially Fred. Ah. So, see. Liz, have you ever thought of changing your name to Fred? <laughs> I, I have thought of it, as a matter of fact. <laughs> I don't know. There was that whole unfortunate Keith episode. <laughs> you know. uh, Change anyway. your name. <laughs> Frederico, Frederico Gagliano. <laughs> anyway, Kevin says, I am listening to the recap of the North Texas RPG Con. Good for you, Kevin. We got another one coming this year. A recap. And a comment. I have found that a game that lasts for hours and hours and only has role-playing is no fun. Amen to that. I went to a con in January and I played in a Star Trek game, and for five hours, all we did was role-play, and I have to say that was a little too much. The second day, we played Living Forgotten Realm. Now, four and a half hours. And it was all game, and it had the right... (laughs) 
It was all game, and it had the right mix of fighting and role-playing. I have some good times role-playing in one adventure the players were invited to tea, and the guy paying the money was invited to play Go and was almost killed because he did so good at it. Hmm. Kevin. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. Uh, lost lost your, your, uh, your, your cohesion there at the end, but okay. Uh, Eddie, how do you like it? Do you like Tap- your role-playing in your... Tapping into Glenn's whiskey. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm okay with the role-playing in a campaign, but at a con, I think you got to get to the action fairly quick. Yeah, you kind of almost have to have a different set of rules for convention play than for playing with a regular group. Yeah. You definitely want to re-gear if you're running it. Oh, yeah. crap. Now i got to go rewrite my game. <laughs> and although, Glenn scurries off. <laughs> although, Liz, I have to say it, three hours shopping <laughs> for clothes. <laughs> Again? Uh, it wasn't Liz. It was another uh, female gamer. Yes. I wasn't at that game because the other female gamer didn't like me. So I didn't get to play in that game. But I heard a lot about it afterwards. <laughs> I was not DMing this because I would have had, you know, a homicidal person break out of the changing room or something at that point. But three but the, hours the chainsaw. shopping for clothes. <laughs> I mean, it's, I just, your, mileage, your mileage will always vary. But in general, I agree with the guy who – or Kevin who wrote the email. But uh, it depends on my mood. I had like a diabolical work week this week and we were playtesting a DCC uh, adventure last night. And just starting, so there was a lot of exposition and setup and rolling up characters, and I just really wanted to light some guys up and set them on fire. So we finally got to that after a couple of hours, but <laughs> I was yeah. in, in, in that kind of a mood, I wanted to kill something. Well, yeah. I will say... Good role-playing. <clears throat> Interesting role-playing. <laughs> I will say, at a convention, nine times out of ten, I either know nobody at the table with me, or I know one, possibly two people at the table with me if I'm lucky. And at least for me, when I am role-playing with a whole bunch of strangers that I have only just met five minutes ago when we all sat down, um, it's very difficult for me to be able to get into a lot of role-playing because I'm not comfortable with the strangers yet. And it's easier to get into action and have a good time and, you know, move into the role playing, you know, as the game goes on and you get to know the people around you. Now, that's just me. Other people who are more gregarious and outgoing than I am, you know, may not have a problem with, you know, jumping into role play with people they don't know very well. But, you know, for me anyway, if I was going to be gaming at a convention, I do think you probably have to have some kind of action going on you know just to try to break the ice with people plus you don't even know your own character if you're playing at a con you just got handed it that's true you know you're kind of meh (laughs) that's why whenever i run con games instead of having names on the character sheet i just give a b c and d Ah, and let them come up with their name as long as it starts with that letter they do the own their own sex of the character, whatever that is. Yes, so often. So <laughs> <laughs> you wish. Um, but, uh, yeah, because 
I, especially if you're already given a pre-gen that already has a name and a detailed back history and everything, you know, you're going to be going, oh, crap, you know, how do I role-play this Never. character? It, it can be kind of intimidating. Yeah, well, I mean, the game that we generally play with our second edition group, the character I had rolled up died, and so I took over an NPC that the game master had been running. And for the first several game sessions, I I felt kind of awkward with her because, you know, it wasn't a character background that I came up with and, you know, everything was just kind of handed to me. And now the cleric Lena is pretty cool and I feel a lot better with her now. I feel like she's my own. But, yeah, to begin with, it's 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 kind of... You feel a bit awkward and stilted with, you know, a character that you're given that you have very little input into or, or him or whatever. And most, <laughs> and most con games, you've only got four to six hours. I love that moment, though, when you find the handle on the character and then you've got it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that your, your, your click. Yeah. It clicks. You know, you manage to uh, – that's how I'm going to run. Pretty cool. All yeah. right. Next email. All righty. Our next one is from James Spawn. And James writes, Greetings. <laughs> I just wanted to say I'm a big fan of this of the podcast. My name is James N. Spawn, no relation to Pete Spawn of Small Niche Games. And I'm the one-man owner, operator, writer for Barrel Rider Games. I've been listening for a long time and wanted to show my appreciation. I'm super poor, as any artist or gamer always is. And thought I'd throw something at you guys. I hope it gives you a few fun moments for your basic games. All right. Barrel Rider Games focuses almost exclusively on OSR Labyrinth Lord class variants. And anyway, he goes on and says, um, I keep making this awesome podcast. I love it. Barrel Rider Games storefront can be found over on RPG Now and Drive Through RPG. Sincerely, James N. Spawn. Thank you, James. Yeah. I cool. love hearing from a fan, especially yeah. a publisher fan. <laughs> well, every everybody on this podcast has done some version of exactly what he's saying, right? We've, yeah. we've all got yeah. something out there. Uh, uh, and you can't uh, have too many classes. Uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> We've done art. Yeah, your art oh, is in yeah. a lot of stuff. Liz has done fanzines and edited art. magazines. You've done your art. Mike's got a game in the works. And other stuff no, you, no, you've done your art. I've done my scribbles. But you're right. It's out there somewhere. It is out there. And you can like never you're... get rid of it unless you're in your <laughs> Like the internet itself, yes. See, wait, wait. Watch me circle this all the way back to the first email. That's how Gary and Dave started. So there is no finer calling than being your own. I'm going to sit down and create a game and publish it for people to enjoy. So Ooh. true. <laughs> Quite true. That's Excellent. Crazy. Excellent, Jim. Okay, and next email. for that, you get to read the next email. Yay, ah. me. Um, another email from Kevin Long, our Kevin. number one fan. Did, do we have like a head fan in this organization, like a head well, acolyte or henchman? We- yes, his, yeah, his name's Kojo. <laughs> I think we were talking about oh, – we already uh, gave it to Kojo, didn't we? Kojo. Montana. Montana's yeah, yeah, Montana wanted to be our torchbearer. And- okay, he can be our torchbearer. Hmm. Okay, well, then, then Montana's got a minion now because Kevin's writing <laughs> all these emails. He's the unlit torch bearer. The guy, the, the, the torch caddy. Yeah, he passes him the torches to light. So. He, he, yeah, he's, he's, his, he's his patsy. 
Oh, sweet Patsy. <laughs> it's anyway, the tokenets. <laughs> I don't care as long as they're all out in front of my spellcaster. And uh, Kevin right? Okay, Kevin, what do you got? Hi, Liz and guys. So, Ooh, I'm first now. <laughs> hey, moved up the ranks. So this show is about artifacts. Let me start by telling you about the Sword of the Green Dragon. It's here we go. Longsword plus one. Oh, that's boring. And where oh here it gets good. And where it <laughs> hits, it releases acid gas that everyone near it needs to make a save from friend or foe. Okay. Ah, that's cool. <laughs> the wielder too. It's the way it's written. Mm-hmm. Uh. Everyone near Hold your it. breath. So you gotta, you got to think it's, twice about whether or not you want that plus one on your roll. It's the farting sword of the green track. <laughs> well, now you've just ruined it, Glenn. <laughs> well, no, a green dragon, it should be chlorine gas, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, now I use two artifacts in my Oriental Adventures campaign, the Acorn of Wuzan, or something like that, which the players had to find and get from a genie. And... He wrote baby. I think he means Baba Yaga's hut. But I'm going to curse the spell checker. Yes, yeah, spell checker is a harsh mistress. I'm getting an, I'm getting an idea for a monster. Oh, no. <laughs> baby this, Yaga. This is still cool. Baby Yaga was trying to get the acorn, too. I was not really going – it was not really going to be for the party until one of the party learned that Baby Yaga's hut was nothing more than a TARDIS. Ooh, nothing so more. He was going to go and take it for himself. I... Nothing less. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. I, I, I yeah. would take a TARDIS for sure. <laughs> Even if it had chicken legs? Uh, just fool with the chameleon circuit a bit. We can get rid of those. Uh. No, nah, leave the legs. Just make it make the sound when it leaves. <laughs> I mean, 99% of the Time Lords I've seen all had uh, London accents, so one with a Russian accent would be kind of cool. Mm. Yeah. What else does he have to say? So, next Kevin Long email. Glenn? No, that's okay. Hi, he says, hi, guys, and Fred. <laughs> uh, Otherwise known as Liz. Yes. Glenn, I was listening to show 84. You were talking about a new podcast called DM Brainstorming. Well, actually, it's DM Brainstorm, but it, I looked on iTunes and I could not find it. I was just wondering if this is still happening and if you're still looking for another co-host. Thanks. Kevin, it's not out there. So stop looking. It will be soon. <laughs> If I have my way <laughs> and Corey has his way um, and we will be probably looking for a third um, right now, we're, we're doing it as you're going to have to listen to another podcast. You're going to have is it, it is part of Thaco's hammer. We use it as a segment of Thaco's hammer right now until we can get the actual podcast off the ground. Are you still so, looking for a girl host? That's Corey's department. But he's got a girlfriend now, so I don't know how how much he's looking. <laughs> um, yeah, we had a little. It was like him, me, and and Vince, and uh, yeah, I don't want to go in. I don't want to go yeah, in yeah. on the. Well, I mean, are you holding open auditions? Should Kevin send you a tape? Please, he should. He should probably just Skype. Eight track tape. Yeah, <laughs> that's <should>. right. <laughs> he should probably just Skype Corey, um, and just talk, or you know. Contact him somehow if you're interested. Um, Corey Shonoff, and I don't even have it. Send an email to thacoshammer@gmail.com and just, you know, Corey, are you going to do this? Can I come on the show? Blah, blah, blah. You know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, it is, it is still in the works. That's what I'm saying. Okay. All, All right. right. And our next email 
Kevin Long. <laughs> I'm shocked. I'm it's shocked. It's the I tell Kevin you. Show. <laughs> Thank you, Fred. Now the email. <laughs> <laughs> and Kevin writes, "Hi, guys and Liz. I am listening to the Spell Check Show, and that I would just thought that I would just share some of the things that I do." In my D&D games, I just leave it the way it is. But in my Castles and Crusades game, I use something that my friend did. After you have used the spell slot, you can make a check. The DC is 10 plus the level. If you make the DC, then you can cast that spell again. Every time you cast the spell, the DC goes up by 1. Wow. So if you cast a Cure of Light Wounds, the DC is 11. The second time you cast it, it will be 12, and so on. And soon the DC will be so high that you will miss it and be done for the day. That's hmm. ow. That's kind of so cool. So basically you, you burn. That's harsh. You spell burn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's cool. I like that. Yeah. It's an interesting it, variant. It reminds me, I don't remember if it was on OSR Gaming or Dragon's Foot, but somebody mentioned about instead of keeping track of say magic item charges is just every time it's used you do a roll and if you blow the roll then it's out of charges <clears throat> well yeah well let, well let me tell you um matt in our labyrinth lord game has now got charts for magic users every time they can every time brad had to cast a spell he had to roll on a chart and half of them fizzled oh um, and he has another oh. chart in case it fizzles really bad <laughs> And something happens. Sort of a critical miss sort of. Yeah, but that's only for magic users. I'm playing a cleric, so I get a free pass. Oh, okay. I don't really care how I get to set things on fire as long as I get to set things on fire. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. It's it's all about the destination for Jim, not the journey. <laughs> and next email from Kevin Long. <laughs> no, no. Finally. No. <laughs> Uh, this uh, email is from uh, Wizard Don, who says... Oh, this guy's cool. Hello, Saver Die. I've been listening to your show, so thanks for distributing it on those nice Memrix cassette tapes. It, You're welcome. It is really friendly on my boombox that normally eats tapes. In fact, the new Thriller tape I just got was destroyed only yesterday. Mm-hmm. Oh, mine too. <laughs> so this, this email is coming to us directly from the 70s. Damn, we've got some old emails. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other day, I just got the brand new Dungeons & Dragons basic set. It has come a long way since the ugly blue-covered box version prior. Hey! Uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> the 80s, then. <laughs> uh, there are a couple things that do bother me, though. The first is that there's a crayon in the box. I'm assuming I must color all the pages in the D&D book before I can start playing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So sad. I actually did that to my first edition Game World game. Uh, <laughs> the problem I have is I can never remember where I left off coloring since I only got a white crayon <laughs> with my set. <laughs> the other that, thing that's that, a problem. <laughs> it's a conceptual failure. Um, <laughs> I lost my place in email. Okay, here. The other thing that bothers me is the dice. They are hard to read because the numbers are the same color as the dice themselves. Sure, there are little grooves to show you the numbers, but the numbers are hard to see. Why couldn't they just fill in the grooves with a black or white paint so that we can see them better? Good question. Uh, (laughs) Too expensive. 
damn you, Arneson. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's all plot. My main question to you guys is, what color crayon did you get with your set? Chartreuse. Let's, let's, let's stop and answer the questions as they go by. Well, <laughs> I started with Holmes, which didn't have dice, that's, much less that's crayons, right. so I can't say. I started with, <laughs> I had to start with, I started with AD&D, which means I went out and bought a, a set of dragon dice, which had a red crayon in it. Mm. And they were blue dice, so they finally got the word that you know, black on black and white on white don't work. <laughs> you guys yeah. were kids. Glenn, do you remember these? Back like 7980, the Armory gave you or sold these packs of dice crayons that were big, huge. Thick. Yes. And I learned years later, yes, they're just, they're just plumber's crayons that they've relabeled. Yes. <laughs> That's what we had. And I don't know. I never had trouble reading the numbers as a kid, but, you know. I was young and foolish, so, you know. Well, he's dissing the homes. My home set came with eight dice. <laughs> they didn't last long, but it came with them. It came with dice. Yeah, and the homes dice were already colored black, you know, on top of the fluorescent yellow and the blue and the pink and whatnot. Well, Wizard Don continues to write, also, if you got a different color, what color was your troglodyte on page B44 when you got done coloring it? <laughs> chartreuse <laughs> just like, like glenn's no i like i said i started with add i had to go out and buy my own dice and crayon so you had to color the monster manual yeah ah i think the troglodyte in my ad monster card set was green but anyway uh i'm also wondering did you hear about that new game called star frontiers i think it is D D in space no, you got a few years before that. Talk about a peanut butter and chocolate dilemma. Anyway, love the show, and it really fills in the gap between TV shows. I'm watching a new show now called Cheers. I don't think it will last, as the blonde is annoying as hell, and watching people sit in a bar can't really have much material to support a sitcom. <laughs> He's probably yeah. right. Yeah, and yeah. the bartender guy was from Creep Show. I mean, you know, that can't last. Uh, I'm excited to write this letter to you and hoping you will read it on the show very soon. I have to cut this short as we are going to see this movie called 48 Hours. It's a cop movie with that guy from Saturday Night Live that does the buckwheat skits. Later, Mario. Also, Wizard Dawn. <laughs> Man, that guy used to be real cool. <laughs> and, and, and you guys laughed at me for installing a plug-in on the website that broadcast the podcast out into the fourth dimension in the past. Well, you were right and we were wrong. And we appreciate you plugging it up to your uh, Baba Yaga Tardis for that. <laughs> uh, yeah. We do. For, guy did the buck. Oh, yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. I'm Gumby, dumb it. <laughs> My Tardis is comedian circuit is stuck on Miata. Ah. Could be worse. Well, Wizard Dawn, we're very sorry that we did not read your letter very soon. Apparently, it took us a couple of decades before it got to us, but... It's here now. We hope you enjoy your letter being read on the show. We certainly enjoyed getting it. Thank you. <laughs> and we'll and get we'll Jim still, to broadcast it back into time, so hopefully you'll catch it. And we'll still use your generators you put on your website. I won't mention the link because you're in the 80s right now and you don't have the internet. <laughs> He's got a BBS. We'll, oh, okay. I guess I can. I guess we can put it on the, the show notes. We'll get it that way. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. All right. Well, Star Frontiers, anybody? <laughs> yeah. Hey, we played um, it. Yeah, it's a game. <laughs> yeah, we played I, it. I, I, I owned Star Frontiers, but I never had anyone to play it with me. It so. was the I best didn't... source of maps and counters for use with Traveler. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's about right. Hey, uh, I, I, was, like I was very excited to get the Star Frontiers box game. And, you know, I read through the rules and everything, and it seemed like it would be fun. But, yeah, I never never played it with anyone, so. I never had it. I played it a few times. Uh, It just never really grabbed me like Traveler did, though. All my friends were stuck on Traveler, so I didn't bother, really. (laughs) Like I said, it's got a lot of really useful things to use with Traveler, but anyway. (laughs) It's like I think it was kind of creepy. You get a science fiction game, and there's no starship rules in it. Oh, you had to wait for the second box set. Yeah, Nighthawks. That that annoyed me. (laughs) It annoyed me too. Although it would be kind of interesting to to know, did they leave out starship rules deliberately, knowing that they were going to put out another box set, or did? They put out the game, and only afterwards did it finally occur to them, hey, there are no starship rules here. Huh. You know, I, I think it was. We should f- make another supplement. So there was a precedent to TSR's Marvel superheroes where they didn't give you any way of creating your own characters until the advanced came out. <laughs> yeah, well, they assumed nobody would want to play their own characters that everybody well, I heard, I, Marvel for ones. what I from what I heard, that was the thinking of Marvel itself, and they said, "Don't put one in there." And then later on, people were complaining, and Marvel said, "Yeah, go, go, put one in, please." Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, next email. All right, Gabriel Emerson. Good name. Good solid name. Hello, sod people and Fred. I apologize if this had been asked before. In all versions of classic D&D except Holmes, initiative is split into a phase combat sequence, yet initiative is per side. What is the rationale behind this? It is useful to make everyone do morale, movement, missile, magic, melee in that order per side. It seems like it is only useful for the case where the dice are tied, which admittedly occurs frequently when using D6s, perhaps frequently enough to justify the sequence. It might be useful for individual initiative, but that is an optional rule mentioned elsewhere. Where do you think this came from, and how it is applied in typical classic D&D play? Thank you, Gabriel. Mike? <laughs> Why me? I thought you were the expert on that kind of stuff. Um, I'm the whole, I'm old, original D&D Holmesian, but um, oh, okay. to re-mention in uh, Rules Cyclopedia, what's the rationale they give there? Uh, it's Magic Missile Movement. Or, uh, well, right, sorry, but what's mo- the... What's the rationale they give for it? They don't. Oh, okay. It's well, the old, that's why we've been doing it. That's what we're doing it now. <laughs> well, uh, in playing at the world, it was pretty clear that uh, Peterson mentions that that's actually an import from wargaming. I believe it. Um, I always played it whenever I did use that system that it was, okay, magic – both sides did it in that section, depending on who won initiative first, then movement, then melee, then not one side does all four. Magic but and I missile, could be wrong on that. Magic and missile fire at top, right? Something like, yeah. That's what we used to do. So The way we play it is on our game is movement, magic, missile. 
excuse me, movement missile magic. Um, and we have individual initiative on the player's side and group initiative on the DM side. Do you do both sides per segment or do you run through all three for one side and then all three for another? No, we roll, we roll D six and add our pluses or whatever. And he just goes down and if he falls in there, he will do all the monsters. And okay. then we'll keep going from six to one. Yeah. I like how in uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics they give you the option. The, the way the rule reads, it's initiative by individual at high levels. At low levels, it's per side. So you just have mm. your best initiative guy roll the d20 against whoever That's they're handy. against. That's handy. So you, you, then you go around, okay. Then you go around the table? Or? I, yeah, it just depends on what mood I'm in. No, no, no. It'd be, oh. it, if it's per side, then it would be around the table or if you want dex order or whatever. You okay, can, gotcha. But it's kind of defeating the purpose of simplifying it. I guess what it is is in the old school days, we just conga lined the battles, and we were all fine with that. Now, if it's important to you or at higher levels, suddenly with casters involved, it does start to matter. Then you can do it individually. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, hope that answered your question. Next. All right. Our next email is from Gordon Shumway. Good name. Solid name. (laughs) Gordon writes, hi, all. Just a word of thanks. I am old, old schooler. I first started high school with friends and the red and blue books, then moved to first edition, but stopped more than 25 years ago, never really staying in contact with a player group. I recently renewed my interest in the game after digging out my books and while Googling old school D&D came across your podcast. I went back to the beginning and proceeded to download your episodes piecemeal. Currently up to episode 48-ish, and at this point, your group chemistry is really rocking. Chock full of insight and creativity, too. Congratulations. Your show truly feels I am lurking within a real classic D&D game community. Oh, we're going to have to send out a restraining order then. No, no. <laughs> uh, by episode 48, I was just listening to the show too, and that's what I loved about you guys. It's You guys sounded like people I wanted to sit down and game with. Well, except for Vince. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> Vince is cool to game with too. We are yes, all cool yes. to He's game with. He's a lot with. of fun to game with. Everyone's cool. Everyone is cool. Well, I, I, I still hear about you know your – you know, the game he ran for you and Montana and Glenn, the villains and vigilantes. <laughs> oh, the, the, no, it was a Marvel. Marvel, Marvel Yeah, that was it. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> yes. A, a perfect example of why random superhero character generation systems don't work. Oh, but I are a lot of weird people. They are hilarious. <laughs> oh, yeah, if that's what you're aiming for, then yeah, they're hilarious, but... Uh, Anyway, Gordon goes on, says, For example, I particularly enjoyed the episode on the Judges Guild, having never never come across any of their stuff back in the day. Okay, I want to redo on that show, too. What do you think, Mike? Huh? We got to redo the Judges Guild. We got to do another Judges Guild show. Yeah, I think so. Because I felt we were rushed. Well, there's a God lot knows there's plenty of stuff. Guild. There's a lot of Judges Guild product out there. Okay. <laughs> and we could have uh, the guy that's running it now, his son, on as a guest. That's true. Bloodsaw Jr.? Oh, cool. Yep. Oh, that would be cool. Because a lot of, I mean, he's reprinting all that stuff, and the Kickstarter just ended for Invincible State of the, or, you know what I mean. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know, that broke, that broke my heart. <laughs> <laughs> 
I didn't have the money because I was backing the uh, blue dungeon tiles, and he was doing a co a co pollination thing where yeah, I back all this, I get a break on the backing for city state, and I couldn't afford it. Yeah. <laughs> Invincible yeah. city state of the overlord was that right? City, city state of the invincible overlord. God, my frontal lobes. Okay. <laughs> Although I did like Invisible Overlord. That's kind of cool. <laughs> Ooh, it's my city state. But you can't see me. Do they, have, do they have a Castle Doom in that too? <laughs> and we could put one in. Yeah. Anyway, he continues on saying, so far I have not yet been successful in finding a game group that feels just right. Having encounters with a weird Dragonlance campaign and a very young college Pathfinder group that insisted on calling me Grandpa. Dang, kids. <laughs> but I keep looking because you guys prove that casual, essential D&D still lives and breathes. Liz, yes, the old illustration on page 57 of the Monster Manual does look like puppies. As do the orcs on page 76 look like pigs. You're just encouraging her. (laughs) Glenn, kudos to you, as we are never too old to rock and never too old to play. Guys, keep up the good work. Regards, Gordon Shumway, DM Gordon. Thank you, Gordon. Thanks, Gordon. From the the old guy in the back. (laughs) Be sure to tell him to get off your lawn, too. That's right. That's what I do. I, I like how he really enjoyed the on-air chemistry before I was on the podcast. I'll just be leaving now. <laughs> hey, he probably hasn't made it up to to this one yet. So the best. Is I'm yet sure to come. he will have. That'll be the next email. Who's say. that yo-yo? <laughs> and they, and they, these podcasts are even better because I'm using deodorant now. Uh, so, and we're all, all right. grateful. <laughs> yes. Next email. I am, I am carrying a can of Lysol to the convention with. Oh, yeah, Lysol at the convention. That's a must-have. Yes. Just don't spray it in the tub and slip. No, not. (laughs) Never. Again. Our next email is also from uh, Gordon Shumway. It says, uh, follow-up on episode 48, DM Mike's message to the executives for Wizard of the Coast, quote, don't reinvent the wheel with edition five and to just republish the classic game they already have in a new way and in parallel with the rest of their products as it was back in the day is Trey apropos and wizard should take a page out of the Harley Davidson book. It proved right for them. DM Gordon. Exactly. Right. Yeah. They're, I mean, in, a, they're in a tough spot. If I was them, I'm not sure what, what, what I'd be doing. Well, I think the PDF releases are probably the best you know compromise they can get um i haven't really paid attention to dnd next so i I don't know how compatible that's going to be or not um but i i don't see why they couldn't go ahead and re-release some of the box sets printing is so cheap nowadays compared to in the past well, there's definitely a market out there for it because Goodman Games reprinting the first edition of Metamorphosis Alpha from 1976. That's an $80 hardbound book, and the Kickstarter went nuclear. Yeah. yeah. So the demand is there. And, you know, they ended up putting out the reprints of the first edition books. So, yep. you know, I, I, I think they, hopefully they'll, they'll keep following this mindset. 
Yeah, they, they reprinted the first edition, the second edition, and for some reason the third edition, which never made sense to me. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, so if anything I've seen in bookstores is they're hip deep in three ebooks. So yeah, that's a little too. They're getting hip deep in four ebooks now. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I don't want to overgeneralize because printing and publishing is complicated. But if Goodman Games can manage it, certainly Wizards of the Coast can. There's a way to do oh, that yeah. and make money and have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. No. And Wizards wouldn't even need a Kickstarter. <laughs> nope. They should be able to fund themselves. <laughs> yep. Okay. All right. Next email. Tony T. Tony T. I like that name. Tony T. I listened to your episode 80 about Peter Spawn and Chronicles of Amherst. I hope you review his newest project just out called Guidebook to City of Dolnvay. Great book and a smooth project he did on Kickstarter recently. Thank you. And enjoy your and I enjoy your program. P.S. I noticed you mentioned Tyler, Texas, a lot. I live in the deep woods near Lufkin. Woo! <laughs> Lufkin near, Na- near Nacogdoches, or <laughs> otherwise known as Nacogdoches, Sacaroches. Thank you, Tony T. Uh, Nac of nowhere. I'm trying to figure out if that was a plug or not. <laughs> <laughs> so I believe we all have a copy of that. Though. Is Lufkin down there near Denton? Um, it is further south. It's um, near Beaumont and the Houston area, kind of, but kind halfway. Of, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> Tony, I have their address if you want to stalk them. <laughs> I, I was it's like, what, an hour and a half from Tyler? If it's driving yeah, distance about. to North Texas, Conning, come see us. Yeah. yeah. Should <laughs> be. Yeah, come down to North Texas. Yeehaw. And if it's not, uh, look up our table at uh, Rose City Comic Con in October. Which in will Tyler. be in Tyler. Yeah. Yes. So Mike yeah. will be there. I will be for, there. <laughs> yeah. For some reason, they invited me back. So I'll be there signing stuff. Cool. Come to North Texas. And if you get a chance, sign up for one of the empty seats in my friend Matt's Friday morning labyrinth lord game as he bats his eyes coquettishly. Blink, blink. Is it, Mines of, <laughs> is it the Mines of Aldoom setting? Yes, it is. Yes, it, it is the Mines of Aldoom. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, Don't listen to our review beforehand, though. <laughs> go to the Dwarven Mines, meet new and interesting beings, and kill them. <laughs> yes. Dwarven Hunting Lodge. That's different. Actually, that kind of just defined Glory Hole Dwarven Mine, didn't it? Hmm. I don't know. They didn't, have a, they didn't have a hunting lodge, though. Well, yeah, true. Or, you know, a Temple of Loki. Woo. <laughs> How many of those do you see? I don't know. After the Avengers movie, I was about to say probably a lot more after the (laughs) after the Marvel movies. (laughs) Never enough, that's for sure. They're all twenty something and thirty something women. You know what's up with that? Come on, guys, it's a good game, and go for it, and don't listen to these guys. All right, next email. Okie dokie. All righty, our next email is from Alistair Scarlet. Good steam, strong name. It's been a while since we've heard from Alistair. Yeah, Nalen. Anyway, he writes, hey, gang, as promised, here I am, having listened to the podcast during my commute yesterday. I started listening with some trepidation, and I know Mike and Jim have said they don't like published campaign worlds. However, on the whole, I thought the points raised were all pretty valid, and I would agree with all the good things mentioned, the maps, the description of Specularum, the suggested adventures at the end, the shearing ceremony, 
And I certainly agree about the awful blue tower on every page. <laughs> Thank you. I have no memory of the Elven Street Gangs, though. <laughs> So, when we get to the scoring, I'm thinking it will all be decent as they seem to like it. I was quite surprised with the two dragons awarded by Mike. Less so by Jim. Hey ho. <laughs> what does that mean? Who, who's the hard ass? It's <laughs> hey! Jim has taken over your crown. <laughs> so, so it seems. You're, you're, there, there's been a palace coup, apparently. <laughs> the hard ass of Wild Games Productions. <laughs> Viva la revolution. Ho, ho. Says, I thought I would share my own fairly recent experience with Gazetteer Number 1. I ran my group through the Veiled Society earlier this year, and Gaz 1 was a really handy crutch for me to lean on. The map of Specularum was very useful, and it was easy enough to place the encounters on it in a meaningful way. The background info on the city also helped me, as a relatively inexperienced DM, to create a consistent environment for the adventure to run in. I was also able to use a few aspects of the character creation and general info to create a couple of realistic NPCs to join the party. One, a young cleric, third son of nobility. He recognizes he won't inherit much, so wishes to travel with the party to Specularum so he can join the Order of the Griffin. They reject him as too inexperienced, so he will hang out with the party for a while. Kick sand in his face. Oh, man. The other is a young fighter, out roving the world as he went through the shearing a few months ago. Right. I skip-read the rules on crime and punishment, but I guess I would have used them if the players had done anything to warrant it. I'm not interested in skills, so have ignored those parts of the gaz as well. Woohoo! In summary, I can fully understand that some people might not like pre-written campaign summaries, but for an inexperienced DM like me, with little time or inclination to create something for myself, this is a godsend. Cheers, Alistair slash Nalen. P.S. I must go back to listen to your review of The Veiled Society. Can you remind me which episode number it was? P.P.S. Liz, feel free to edit this email to improve readability. <laughs> Liz did not edit anything. Uh, thank, Veiled Society thank you, was Allison. reviewed in episode 37. Thank you. What's that? Uh, I said the, the review of The Veiled Society appeared in episode 37. Oh, did it? Okay. No, I just made that up. I, don't know. I was about thank to say, because I did... I actually went I actually and researched looked. this, yeah. um, and I found out why I couldn't remember it, because it was an episode Liz and I were not on. It was uh-huh. Vince, Glenn, and Julie. Ah. And it was episode I – won't, I won't call Glenn out to ask him to remember which one, because it was way back. It was episode 22. Wow. Let's see. That was that was the veils. Is that the one where they no, that was the other one where they, it had in the module a, a gelatinous cube closing in fast. And yeah, I remember. Julie, Julie. and I had a Julie and <laughs> oh, I that had was a horror on the hill. Yeah, B five. How does a gelatinous cube close in fast? Charges into the room. <laughs> oh, no, the ceiling opens and it drops right on you. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. Thank you, I, Alice. Fun. Uh, go ahead, Liz. What? I was gonna say, you know, the gelatinous cube thing i just think of that austin powers movie with the steamroller slowly going to the guy he's like ah! and the steamroller ah! 
<laughs> that would be like a gelatinous cube charging towards you. <laughs> yep. But, uh, that's like that's like the mummy in the Universal Pictures. Is it? How could he? How could, he goes so slow? He must be really silent. <laughs> uh, thank you, Alistair. You know when you said Alistair uh, from the other room, Becky was watching TV, and I heard the masterpiece theater theme at that <laughs> point. It was weird. I appreciate this email because I mean we all have our individual gaming tastes, but part of being a podcaster would theoretically be to present material. That sometimes is not to your taste, but you still want to do a good, you know, journalistic review of it. And this email kind of sounds like we accomplished that, even though uh, some of us don't care for campaign settings in general. I'll steal and rape from one and pillage it all the time. You know, right? We still got the good points of the game and found, you know, good things oh, yeah. to review. And then you gave it two dragons. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> you creeps. <laughs> ah, all right. Well, thanks for the email, Alistair. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, that would be Jim. Oh, am I up? Yes. Yeah, you're yeah. up. Oh, what a dope. I'm, what a maroon. Uh, Travis Nicholson writes the show. Hi, oh, all. Hi, comma. Hi, DM Glenn. There, you happy, Glenn? Hey. <laughs> yeah, somebody else. The hi, rest all. of us are just I mean, all. And DM Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not just I love every. I want everybody and Glenn to come. So. <laughs> oh, and, and even I, Glenn. I see why he addressed you singly because this is all about snagging games at used bookstores. The whole email. <laughs> ah, what'd you buy in gaming this week, Glenn? No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'll let you, I'll tell you if you want to know. <laughs> no, I, I see it in my Facebook feed. Yeah, uh, Travis writes, uh, "Hi all, hi DM Glenn. I just got back from Bookman's. Think half price books, but is local to Arizona." I gotta go to Arizona. Excuse me. <laughs> and to my surprise, I found two of the Menser books: the uh, PM and the Expert Pl- Rules. Players Manual. Oh, Players ah. Manual. And Expert Rules, as well as the original Dungeon Master's Companion, all for five bucks a piece. Wow. I mean, they look worn and well used, rusted staples and all. But I'm so excited to twist arms, bend legs, and make a grapple check to get a group to play. Now I must leave, but before I do, let me heap a little love on you all. I love your podcast. Aw. Thank you. Uh, I play more 2E than anything else. Uh, insert obligatory Thacos hammer here, Glenn. <laughs> Tell well, me about I, it. I, <laughs> I was going to say, if you play mostly 2E, you know where to go. But Wait that is because I started in 87 <laughs> with 1E and then right into 2E. Any kobold, I must leave and clean. Keep the dice on the table. Travis Harmbringer Nicholson. Thank you, Travis. Uh, yeah, he, he almost parallels me. 1E, Gamma World, and then 2E. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thanks wow, for the gotta, email. God, I got a doppelganger out there. Oh, my God. <sighs> You're oh, it's me. you, Glenn. Derek Jones. Good name. Strong name. Uh <laughs> DM Screen Monkey here from the forums. Not so good or strong name. <laughs> That's a very strong name. I'm the male monkey. Okay. Screen monkey is cool. Anyway. I thought you were Fred. Anyway, um, <laughs> I wanted to bring up something DM Liz mentioned about the dragon's damage in Thor Cameron's Dragon Lair's product. I don't own that, but she mentioned that she, she doesn't think a dragon should only do 1d6 damage. Although I'm a fan of 1d6 damage, if you're using the LBB OD&D, there is a pattern that can be seen and applied to non-breath weapon damage for dragons. 
Monsters of 1 to 4 hit dice do a base damage usually of 1d6. Creatures with greater than 4, such as ogres, for example, do 1d6 plus 2. Looking at the dragons in Monsters and Treasure, the lowest HD hit die dragon type is a white dragon with a 5 to 7 hit die range. This gives even the smallest dragon a 1d6 plus 2 with non-breath weapon attacks. Next, looking at giants, we can see they do 2d6 damage. The smallest giant size creature is the hill giant at 8 hit dice. If we use this as a guideline, any dragon within a hit die range of 8 to 12 would do 2d6 damage with non-breath weapon attacks. As the gold dragon is the largest at 12 hit die, this gives you the top and end and damage they can do. 5 to 7 hit dice, 1d6 plus 2. 8 to 12 hit dice, 2d6. Now, I know this isn't perfect, but it does show that you have you can get some variation in damage if you do a stare and compare. As much as I love OD&D, you have to do some digging to get answers, but that can be fun sometimes. For a house rule, if you want to make dragons or creatures of 12 hit die plus, you can add one die of damage per four hit dice. The thing to remember is to not overdo it because all characters in OD&D use D6 hit points and you don't you don't have the hit point inflation to deal with in order to kill or torment your characters. It's always as always the podcast is fantastic. It is my favorite of the three. I do listen to RFI as well as the redheaded stepchild of Glenn's Thaco's Hammer. <laughs> Even if those are completely different games that can be used together. Derek Jones, somebody help me. I can't stop talking like this. <laughs> <laughs> Completely different games, Taco. Oh, <laughs> oh, man, oh, man, that was a lot of info. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. Ah, That's certainly taco. a way of handling it. Um, I still prefer polyhedrals, so, but, you know, hey. Well, I, some, some of that and stuff buried in your... OD&D is because they did, couldn't get their hands on polyhedrals, so you had to do 1d6 plus 2. Or yeah. play Tones and Trolls. Uh, hey, 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 hey. Hey, hey, hey. I think instead of brainstorming, you need to do a Tunnels and Trolls podcast, Glenn. <laughs> I really think you do. That's an Eventually. idea. Yeah. I know it's an idea. It's an idea I've had for quite a while, but I don't get to play enough of it to, to do a podcast. Um, but we'll, fig- we'll figure that out in the future. In your so. copious amounts of spare time. <laughs> you, you, you get More a female copious. podcaster named Tina, and it could be Tina and Mr. TNT. Oh. Ow. T cubed. <sighs> hey, I like that. TNT. Right. Wait, I got more. TNT for the Tillerman. Stop him before he kills again. <laughs> Stop it before he tees again. <laughs> I didn't mean to tee off. I gotta go take. I'm gonna go take a TT. Yeah. Uh, okay. Your, last your, one. Your mileage may vary on dragon attacks and damage. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, that's yes. really right. a, a thoughtful approach to it, though. Yeah. That's true. I'd, I would increase the damage personally. I but would there's too. Nothing, but yeah, but there's a, nothing but wrong with that. It's a system to use that one, too. Yeah, there's yeah. nothing wrong with using that as the baseline. Maybe plus just one cranking it up is, a bit more. Yeah. The one, the one plus one per four is pretty good. Mm. You're not going to increase the damage on that one little dragon in homes, though, are you, Liz? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. It's a, it's a dragon. You should be wetting your pants when you see a dragon. At first, <laughs> the third level. That's right. 
and also- not just because of a fear aura that it projects, but because it can literally eat you in one bite. <laughs> That's a real thing. John Peterson wrote a column in his blog about that, why there's a dragon in homes in the first place, because there's no way first through third level characters should ever meet a dragon. But the game's called Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons. So dragon here we go. <laughs> then why a vampire? Yeah. Oh, you know, just to be a dick. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and then, 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 now Liz is teaching her kobolds how to breathe fire, too, so watch it. Yes. <laughs> Last email. Last email from Lynn Pimentel. And Lynn writes, One, just started listening to the podcast. Loving it. Good so far. Two, cool. would love to hear someone discuss the OGL and, generally speaking, understanding you folks are not attorneys, what you can and can't do with it. Thanks, Lynn. You do. You can do anything with it until the C&D comes in. Mm, that's a bit vague, though. <laughs> yeah, it, it suddenly occurs to me I'm writing an OGL game, and I have no idea what's in the OGL. Maybe I should go check into that. That, that might be a good mm. idea. Why don't, or, you have yeah, good, I, why don't you have the Goodman people check into it for you? Whenever you say what you can do with it i'm not really sure i mean that's the whole point of the ogl as long as you print it you can use any and all that's in it um i think you do have yeah i think you do have to cite you know when you do use oh yeah you have to print the things you know from whatever game system that you're you know going from though isn't that right and, and, it, and it works weird because, like, some of the other publishers of the retro clones and stuff have their own OGLs. Like, uh, Labyrinth Lord, Matt's publishing in Labyrinth Lord because he said the OGL is a lot easier to deal with and understand than the regular OGL. You're absolutely right. I know that much. If you go underneath somebody else's OGL with your OGL product, you're good. Yeah. So, sort of nesting OGLs. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Do OGL stack? stack? (laughs) I don't know, though. A whole show about legal crap sounds pretty boring to me. Maybe we could just discuss in a section or something. I don't know. But I think we would need someone who had actual experience working under an OGL to be guesting with us to give their point of view. Well, I will say one thing. You cannot copyright mathematical formulae. Yes, or tables. Or tables, yes. Um, so get well, that you out. Know, yeah, you know, I've met more than one gaming lawyer in my gaming career, so <laughs> it would probably be easy to get somebody who's on who's a gamer and a lawyer, and he mm. could break it. He could break it down for us. Yeah, for a very reasonable fee. <laughs> you hear that, Mister Marsh? No. <laughs> I just don't want to get sued by Wizards of the Coast. That's all. Yeah, yeah. That would suck. Although okay. I will say that that is one advantage to the whole situation is that they have to send you a cease and desist letter and give you 30 days to cease Respond. and desist. So at worst, unless you're putting your life savings into something, you can always just stop. Yeah. Well, the one piece of it nobody uh, or people often miss is – I know from my tech startup days, if Wizards of the Coast decides to litigate me, it doesn't matter who's right. I haven't got the money to fight them. I'm done. Yep. Yeah, pretty much. In America. That's why C&Ds are so effective. Yeah. In America. That, well, that that's is- also why Dragon's Foot was able to 
stick around in the yep. beginning anyway. And the Osric, because they got a cease and desist yeah. from Wizards of the Coast, and they basically said, uh, no, we're not violating it. So Neener and Wizards never did anything. But of course, yeah. they've already proven you know, they've already said the cease and desist, but then they would have to prove financial loss and good yeah. luck on a yeah. free product. Yeah. That would be a good show topic. How not to get sued by Wizards of the Coast. I'm interested <laughs> in that yeah. show. Don't make it's money. A lot, there you go. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot easier to do now than it was then. And at the end um, of the episode, we get a cease and desist from <laughs> yes, the Coast because go. of our episode. Yeah. And uh, I. I don't know. I just don't see him doing it a whole lot anymore. I mean, I lo- the thing I I love, I mean, I don't like playing it anymore, but I, the thing I absolutely adore about the third edition is the OGL, where it encouraged other people to pub. But when I looked at it the first time, I'm going, this is really, really great, but I bet it comes back and bites them in the ass. And it, well, it did. depending on your point <laughs> of view, it has, because now people yeah. can make retro clones and all sorts of things, and the yeah. owner of the IP can't do anything about it. That's right, because they they made it so all encompassing. All right, so Wizard of the Coast has sin has has a lot of sins, but in my opinion, creating the OGL was Ain't a really good thing. Well, since yes. we're since we're at the end of the email show, where can the uh, Hasbro attorneys write the podcast? Glenn? <laughs> at uh, <laughs> Saver at gmail dot com. Address it to Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Care of <laughs> Jim Wampler. All right. So By the we... way, your comic strip also mentions monsters and things in our. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. <laughs> yeah. So we end the episode once again, heading down the road. How are we heading down the road, Jim? Uh, I'm heading down the road with my Ouija board asking Dave Arneson which campaign settings to trash, and he's telling me all of them except Blackmore. Well, there you go. So I'm Liz. Um, I'm going down the road studiously teaching my kobolds how to breathe fire. Do they get a merit badge? No. (laughs) Just make fire. It's fire building, not fire breathing. Oh, okay, okay. I can, I see them instead of breathing fire like a dragon, they do the stuff like the the, the magicians do. They drink some. Watch. <laughs> oh, little kobolds in Cub Scout uniforms would be adorable. Yeah, yeah. maybe you could get the Tabernacle Choir to start wearing that. <laughs> Glenn. Well, I'm running ahead of everybody, getting out of the way from people throwing brickbats at me for calling Liz Fred <laughs> all through the show. <laughs> Fred is short for Liz. Oh, yeah. okay. It's okay. That's, that's a lot of brickbats. Yeah. Whereas I am not walking down the road at all since this was an email episode. Uh, I am just simply emailing myself down the road to the next <laughs> location with very that. reasonable shipping rates. Yes, very much. We'll put you e- emailing yourself at in one of those uh, flat rate boxes. <laughs> yeah, to 1983. Yeah. Exactly. To go say hello to Wizard Dawn. Yeah. You're going to meet this girl. Whatever you do, don't screw it up. Her name is Liz. Don't screw it up twice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see you guys in episode 92. Bye-bye. Good night, everybody. Rearc. This 
Saber Die Podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with D20Radio.com. The Saber Die theme music is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can find them at MississippiBones.Bandcamp.com. This podcast was not produced under the open game license, so all cease and desist letters should be directed to our attorneys at GrowScrewYourself at NeenerNeener.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Save or Die. He was the wizard of a thousand kings. And I chanced to meet him one night wandering. He told me tales, and he drank my wine. Me and my magic man kind of feel. 